It's time to dig in and discuss the questions on the minds of today's leaders. You are listening to The Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership. This is where we get vulnerable, raw, and authentic about the stuff that really matters. Now, here is your host, Kathleen Reeson. Welcome to The Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership here on Inspired Choices Network. I'm your host, Kathleen Reeson, and today we're talking about how you see the problem may actually be the problem. So we're going to dig into a little bit of problem solving. It's something that I get a lot of questions about. How do I get better at problem solving? And it's not actually, there's no magic wand that I could give you that would say, oh, you're now better at problem solving. It's actually, there's a couple steps before that that set you up to be able to make decisions quickly and make them with accuracy and make them in a way that you would be proud the next day and the next day and the next day based on your response. And so that's what we're gonna talk about today. Now, why does this matter? Why does any of this matter, really? The problem solving, this piece, why is it something that we get a lot of questions about? The, my thought on that is because we're all confronted with big things. I mean, especially over the last few years, but we've all got these situations where we say, oh, what's the right thing to do? The right thing. And I think just right there, where we use the word right, we're setting ourselves up to fail based on that word, that word alone. The word right would indicate that there is a right and a wrong way. But the reality is when we're dealing with complex problems, it's not about the right way or the wrong way, because most of the time that stuff that hasn't been established yet. If we're dealing with something that we've never dealt with before, there is no right way or wrong way. It's about what's the way that we can live with that's most aligned with our value system, with who we are and our beliefs. And what we get to remember when we're making complex decisions is this right here. This is a key piece. And it says that tomorrow I may have different information and I may make a different decision. So I may, may, I may answer differently, but based on what I know today, in this moment, this is how I'm deciding. Based on what I know today, in this moment, this is what I'm deciding. Knowing that tomorrow the information, the situation may change, I may make a different decision if I'd had that information. But the reality is today we don't. Today we don't. And if we wait until tomorrow when we could potentially maybe have more information, we can get into this trap called analysis paralysis, which means that we're just waiting for more information. We're waiting for the situation to change. Oftentimes this can happen in very challenging situations because we don't want to make the answer. We don't want to come up with the decision. We don't want to pay the prices for the choice we're going to make. So we just don't make a decision thinking that we're prolonging it. But the reality is not making a decision is just as important as actually making the decision. So that's a little insight into decision making. We could spend a lot more time there, but where I really want to focus today is that oftentimes how we see the problem is actually the problem. How we see the problem is actually the problem. And so we get to shift how we see the problem. Now I'm gonna give you an example. I was talking about this right before the show started. As you know, if you've listened to any of my other shows, I have three children, three boys. They are nine, 11, and just turned 14. So where in the state that I live in, you can get your permit at 14. So my son has passed his knowledge test and he'll be getting his permit here in a few days. And my problem will change very dramatically in that 
my son now wants to drive the car. <laughs> so that'll be a whole other set of problems. But I tell you my kids' ages and I tell you what they're up to because they, they're getting into more activities. So the, the two oldest are in middle school, they're in sixth and eighth grade. And as a part of middle school, more opportunities arise. And at our school, we offer mock trial, real big in the state of Iowa where I live. And this is the, the Iowa Bar Association, so the legal entity here in our state. And a lot of other states, they do this as well. And in other countries, I believe they do. But I am not as well informed in that. I just know about it here in the state of Iowa. So we have uh, the legal association years ago said, how do we get more kids excited about the legal profession? And then they realized, well, if we could get kids excited about that, it's not even just about that. Because the legal profession, the way that they could set it up, these, these cases, is that it's really about critical thinking and communication skills and leadership skills. So they could they could create these scenarios where these kids could practice this at a young age. So very easy yes as a parent for my children to be a part of this. So when my kids came home and said, I want to be a part of mock trial, I didn't really know what it was. I didn't do this growing up, but it sounded exciting. And my oldest, he participated last year. And every other year, we flipped the cases between criminal and civil. Last year was a criminal case. This year was a civil case. Now these kids, they get a, this year, they got a 74 page document that looks just like if you were a real attorney and you're going to court, you would collect this information. There's three witnesses for the plaintiff. There's three witnesses for the defense. They have an actual case. This one's about a lady slipping and falling down the stairs at a restaurant. She wants $5 million in damages. And so here we are with presenting all of this information. Now the problem, the problem that's in front of me is that because I'm a two-time coach, meaning I, this is my second year, and I know some of these kids really well on the, the older team, we actually have to slate them. We get to say who is going to be our three witnesses because these kids, they play these witnesses. Now, if it's a witness that's more like somebody who would be in a gang, they might dress like that and they may speak like that. And they, so they actually become these witnesses and they get points based on how well they do that. So it's very cool to see these opportunities. There's some drama and theatrics involved but also landing a message and understanding this case and putting a spin on it in a way that it's got a story so somebody can interpret it. And at the end of the day, whichever team does the best job at presenting their case wins. So they get an opportunity to win or lose. And in this case, it's just a phenomenal learning opportunity. But there are only so many kids allowed per team. So in our case, there's seven kids that can actively play in a part one kid that serves as a timekeeper very important role because its whole thing is time and then two that are alternates but they have the way that it's mixed you've got kind of a puzzle to put all these kids in their roles now the reason that i'm spending so much time sharing this with you is because this is an interesting challenge now my brain works in a lot of different ways I can sit here and talk with you on the radio or podcast, or if you're watching through the, the TV network. So there's all kinds of different ways you could be hearing this message. That, no problem. I could do that all day long. You want to talk about strategy and growth of your business and where you're headed? Awesome. Right there with you. But you want to talk about a puzzle of a maze, this maze of how there is ways that these each of these kids get the parts that they want and make sure that they all get slated and there's two different teams that you get to slate at the same time because by the way these kids represent the plaintiffs 
then they very quickly go into a new room with a new team and then now they are the defense so they actually play both sides of the case which is very interesting because you can't be hooked onto one side you can't be like she's guilty because the very next moment you're actually going to represent and say she's innocent so you cannot be attached but as the person who writes who's going to slate these kids it's a very big challenge and my brain does not necessarily work in this way now I am attempting to do this, but it is something that I have worked on many different iterations of this. And I've crossed it out. I've done it in pen. And then I realized I should be doing it in pencil. Now I'm doing it on the computer so that I can change it. I probably spent four hours on what slating could look like. And this is just for one of the five teams. Holy buckets. That's a lot. Now I say all of that, but the beauty is I'm not the only coach. I'm actually one of the very few coaches that isn't a lawyer. All I know is I can read the kids and know where, where they would fit and what their interests are. That's it. But the value is that we can work with somebody else who does have that skill. And there is a wonderful coach on the team who has this skill to edit it and to look at it and say, well, this will work or this won't work. And she can move it around. But where she works best is once it's slated, she can make the edits. And so I am doing my best at the first draft. But the thing is that oftentimes with first drafts, we call them crappy first drafts. So whether you're writing a book, whether you're doing something like what I'm working on with this slate right now, whether maybe you're hosting your first radio show ever, there is what we call a crappy first draft. And it just means we're putting something out into the world. We're knowing that it's not perfect, but we are trusting that we're going to get to a cleaner second version. And the thing when we say how you see the problem may be the problem is that when we're talking about problem, excuse me, problem solving, what we really get to focus on is that sometimes we are working on the crappy first draft. That's what's coming out. And we know that we get to pull other people in to support us with the second draft. But sometimes things get in the way of getting to that second draft. We get through the first draft and maybe we're tired or beaten up because, oh, it took us forever to get here. That we forget that there's other people around us that can support us with really polishing it and the finished product. What gets in the way? Ego gets in the way. Ego. If I got through my first draft and said, whoo, yeah, I got this. I'm, I got this. And I put it out into the world, but I never had anybody check it. It's my ego that's in the way. And so sometimes when I'm looking at problems like how we're going to solve this team slating problem, I could spend all day beating my head against the wall, attempting to figure this out, maybe, maybe getting to the first draft. Or I could call up my friend that's the other coach and say, hey, can you work on this with me? And all of a sudden, we can get through it much quicker. Have you ever had that happen where you're struggling? It's like beating your head against the wall. You just can't figure out the answer. But then you call somebody else up and you say, hey, uh, what would you do in this situation? And they say, oh, that's easy. This. And you're like, oh, I hadn't thought about that. Why hadn't I thought about that? And then you can easily go into this trap of, but I didn't think about it. I must be fill in the blank. Dumb, stupid. I mean, whatever that is, it's our protection that's coming up instead of embracing that somebody else has a totally different viewpoint and they don't have the attachments that we do. So based on your circumstances, how you grew up, the business cases that you've been around, the, the challenges that you faced, you have a very different outlook. Now I'll share with you from a personal perspective, I have faced 
many different medical challenges in my life. And I don't make my own medical history is, is very boring, really. I don't have anything uh, that's super exciting. I've never had cancer. I really just don't have a lot of exciting. I did fall down the stairs. There was no lawsuit. So that was totally unrelated to the Montreal case I was just telling you about. But I slipped down the stairs uh, earlier in the year. And that's probably about the most exciting thing that's happened to me in the last 15 years other than childbirth. But from a medical history perspective, mine's pretty boring. But if you look at the people around me, my husband's had cancer and he's had histoplasmosis. If you know anything about that? It's not cool. Uh, it's very challenging disease that comes from the soil, but it can get into your lungs. In my husband's case, it went into his chest cavity and my dad had cancer. My dad's had some other challenges. So the, I could go on and on. I wrote a whole book, Joy and Uncertainty, A Guide to Creating a Meaningful Life. If you want to know more about specifically those challenges, go look it up. It's on Amazon. But the reason I share this with you is because my view and my relationship with medical challenges is very different than the average person because I have dealt with those many, many times. So know that if somebody around you has dealt with something in a different way than you have, their experience will be very different. And so if you're confronted with a challenge, oftentimes when you put that challenge out into the world, other people can offer you that feedback that's going to be different than how you perceived the problem because they have a very unique set of, of guidelines or of structure around that. Where when, when my husband, we found out that he had cancer, it was really no big deal. He actually just did his screening last Friday. We don't find out the results until a couple days from now. And there is no angst that either of us are carrying. And yet I realize that in other situations or, or for someone else that may create a significant amount of angst. But for us, we don't. We've been through so many different medical challenges that this is just no big deal for us. And we have a big trust factor that, well, if something is, we'll use the word wrong, if there's something that needs to be addressed, we've got the team around us to support us. But we're in a very privileged position because of that, because of the way that we, that we look at it and see challenges. And so the lesson here is that there are people around you that see challenges differently than you do. And so when you are confronted with a problem, with a challenge, with something that seems insurmountable, whether it be personal or professional, good to open up to the people around you and say, this is the challenge that's in front of me. Because to you, it is the highest mountain you've ever climbed, but to them, it could be a hill. To them, it could be no big deal. And they could lend you the insight of why they see it that way or how they see it that way. Because in, in making these challenging decisions, when we're looking at big problems, oftentimes borrowing that knowledge from somebody else will help you scale that mountain at a much faster and less painful rate. So we can actually borrow the knowledge and the skills of the people around us to support us in getting to where we want to get to in overcoming big problems very quickly. So really cool process. We're going to go on a quick break. And when we get back, we'll actually break that down into how we can do that so that you can have some tools that when you are facing these challenges that seem insurmountable of how you can actually break that down and open up to the people around you in a very specific way to support you. Okay, so stay tuned. You're going to, we're going to go on this quick break. You're listening to The Kathleen Reeson Show, Pushing the Boundaries of Leadership here on Inspired Choices Network. Talk to you in just a second. Are you enjoying the conversations on The Kathleen Reeson Show? Kathleen speaks both in person and virtually at companies, conferences, and retreats all over the world. Learn about booking Kathleen Reeson for your next event at KathleenReeson.com. That's KathleenReeson.com. 
Are you a subject matter expert? Are you here to share your expertise with an audience waiting to hear from you in only the way you can deliver? Are you ready to have your voice amplified across the airwaves? Inspired Choices Network has a global radio platform streaming to millions of people across the world. Professionally produced and supported by an accomplished team every step of the way, you can broadcast from anywhere in the world knowing your voice matters and we ensure it is delivered with ease and efficiency. Eager to hear your message, the world awaits. Contact us today to become an Inspired Choices Network radio host. Email become a host at inspiredchoicesnetwork.com. Welcome back to the Kathleen Reason Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership. To participate in the program, join our live studio audience in our chat room at inspiredchoicesnetwork.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to the Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership here on Inspired Choices Network. And today we're talking all about how you see the problem may be the problem. And the reason that we're talking about this is because in my work as an executive coach, as somebody that works with clients that are in aggressive growth, I often see that they can get stuck on problems. And they ask, how do I make decisions either quicker or uh, with, with less pain. And as I mentioned right before break, we can actually borrow from the knowledge of other people that have been through these different kinds of challenges or maybe even the same kind of challenge. And so one of the questions that's really great to ask, and I actually had a scenario this weekend that I use this, and it's saying, are you open to seeing whatever the challenge is in front of you in a different light? Are you open to it? Now you can use this on yourself or you can use this if you're working with somebody else that has a challenge. So oftentimes I'll use this in my coaching work, my consulting work, but I can also use it on myself. So this weekend I was in a scenario with uh, someone else and in this case, the person I was talking to was very hung up on a situation that had happened in the past, a situation that had happened many years ago, but this person still had some anger or resentment over it. And I said, well, are you open to seeing this in a different light? And this person ultimately was not. She said no. And, and I respect that she doesn't want to. And at that, at that point, if somebody says no to you, it's like an analogy. Let's just say you had a stack of papers and you stapled them together and, and you just, you're not going to be able to get them apart unless you apply a lot of force to rip that staple off. Otherwise, it's going to be tight. That's why you put a staple in there because you want to keep it tight. And so if you imagine that you have that staple so tight in that paper, they're not, you're not going to look at it any differently. And that's what we're doing when we say, no, we don't want to see it in a different way. We've stapled it. We've shut that might as well have put it in a locked case because ultimately nothing's going to change. We're not going to see the problem differently. And, and that is the problem because if we're not willing to look at something from a different perspective, we can't change it. You're going to experience the pain. You're going to, you can't borrow from somebody's knowledge if you are not willing to look at the problem differently. But one of the key pieces, if you are, uh, if you're the other person, let's just say you're working with somebody else like I was, if they say no, know that that's the end of the conversation. Because oftentimes we can beat our heads attempting to get somebody to see something differently. But if they don't want to, they don't want to. And it's not worth it. You're not going to be able to break that staple apart. That's like, it's like they use a titanium stapler. It's not coming apart. Now think about that for yourself. How often are you that staple that's shut? Are you the one saying, I'm not going to look at this differently? 
So the very first step, if you really want to borrow from somebody's knowledge and, and you want to you want to solve these challenges a lot faster, you can do that by being open. So don't be the shut staple. Really be you're like the staple remover. <laughs> you're the staple remover. You're the one that is saying, yes, I'm open to seeing this differently. I'm open to looking at, at whatever challenges differently because that creates possibility. So let's just say that that's the case. Then, excuse me, when we're looking at a challenge, you get to really boil down what the challenge is. And I'm talking about going down to the facts. Because oftentimes we make assumptions based on challenges. Now, if I had a penny for every time somebody came to me and they want to solve a challenge, and at first they present the emotional side of it. And it is okay because you've got to get that out. But underneath it is the facts-based portion. Now you go to a lawyer, let's go back to my mock trial case earlier, obviously I've had some experiences looking at this case. When you're gonna go present a case to a lawyer, the emotions really don't matter unless you wanna get some kind of money or damages based on those emotions. But the lawyer wants to know the facts. So the facts that you believe are true. And so you've gotta be very black and white with those, here's the facts. And when we wanna look at problem solving, Problems get solved from a very factual, rational, logical place. If you remember when we talked about the brain, uh, gosh, it's been about a month where we really talked about the upstairs brain and the downstairs brains. If you go back in the shows and uh, you look into to some, we talked about the upstairs brain and the downstairs brain. So the upstairs brain is very rational, logical. The downstairs brain, so the part that's, that's really at the, the base, the core, when we're born, that downstairs brain is firing, that's your emotional epicenter. So into your hippocampus, hypothalamus, uh, those, those sections of the brain where we store memories. As you get older, you build the connections between your downstairs brain and your upstairs brain. It's like a ladder that you crawl up and down, up and down. And the, the more that you practice that, the more your emotional intelligence increases, okay, the more your emotional intelligence increases. And the goal, especially as, as an executive in a professional world is that you've, you've got to have a high level of emotional intelligence in order to climb back and forth. So the downside to this whole emotional intelligence conversation is that sometimes we talk about emotions like they're a bad thing. And, and it's not bad to have emotions, it's actually human to have emotions. But the challenge is that when we're making big decisions, we don't make big decisions from our emotional epicenter, we make big decisions from our rational, logical place. So the upstairs brain. And so that's why it's really important if we boil it down to the facts, we eliminate the emotion from our decision-making and now we're just down to facts. So we've boiled down the emotion, we've given it the credit that it deserves and then we've moved on from the emotion and what's left is the facts. So now we're hanging out in our upstairs brain in our logical space where we've got these facts. So what I do to get to this point, if I'm not naturally there, I get a piece of paper and a pen out usually a fun color today, I have pink, but you'll want, it make if that's what's fun for you, then do it. Otherwise, blue and black, red, those are fine. That is what my husband uses. I prefer fun colors. So then I have my piece of paper out in front of me and I actually write down what I believe to be facts. So what I know to be true. Now listen to the words that I just said. What I know to be true is what I believe to be facts. It doesn't mean that if I went to my neighbor down the street and I said, does this seem true to you? That's not what I'm doing here. I'm saying what I know to be true as my facts, point one, point two, point three, point four, whatever those look like. 
So now I'm writing them down and I'm boiling down the facts as I know them. Now, in any case where I've had to pull in my lawyer at any time over the years, this is the piece that I do really well. I was just in a situation where working out a land deal during COVID, one of our businesses that we closed, we had a lease on it. We have a lease on it. And for a year, from the entire year from 2020 to 2021, we had closed that business, but we still paid full rent rate. That was, that was an expensive year because we didn't have revenue come in off that business, but, but my husband and I covered that business for a year of that rent. So it was about $100,000. Then in year two, we said, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> and, and remember, we had, so this lease had a total, goes till 2025, 2025. So there's still quite a bit of years left. Well, the year two, since we shut it down happened, we said, whoa, wait a minute, we get to revise this. So we went to, to this landlord and we went to their lawyer and our lawyer, we all got involved and we wrote down our fact statements. And we use those for another year. Well, now this year has hit, we're in our year three, and we get to rewrite that again. But my motion wouldn't work in that argument. If I just said, oh, I'm so tired of paying this, there's not revenue coming in off that business that I get to pay this for, I don't want to pay it anymore. Just because I don't want to doesn't mean I'm not legally obligated to. And so, so in that position as the lawyer, they're looking at, facts what I know to be true. And so I get to write down my fact statements about what I do and don't believe based on certain points, because somebody that's considered a neutral party can then look at it and say, okay, I see your fact statements. Let's get the fact statements from the other side. And then, then we'll figure out where we can work together on this or not work together. And that's when we're making big decisions. That's where we get to come from. First, start with our facts based, our fact based. <laughs> Let me just say that word again, fact, base, base, B-A-S-E, fact, base, uh, English. Okay, so then we, we boil down the facts and then we want to articulate what the real question is because oftentimes what we think is the question isn't actually the question. Well, if that isn't confusing, I don't know what is. First, I'm telling you how you see the problem may not be the problem. Now I'm telling you the question that you think is what you're asking really isn't the question. I mean, Kathleen, come on. That's what I'd be saying right now if I were listening. But what I mean by the question isn't always the question, it, it can mean that what it, let's just say I was asking myself, how do I pay the least amount possible for this lease challenge that we're in? So that's, that would imply that, that this lease is gonna continue for a few more years and I'm gonna pay the least amount possible. Or I could flip the question and say, how do I remove myself from a lease obligation? What would that look like? So I'm changing the question that I'm asking. And so, so oftentimes we get locked in on what a problem looks like and what the question that we really are answering based on that problem. But if we just shift the lens a little bit and we say, but what if we were answering this question instead? and we looked at it just a little bit differently, it opens up how we could solve the problem, how we could solve the problem. So for example, like this mock trial slate that I have in front of me, right now I have 16 positions to fill. I have 16 positions to fill. So there are a lot of different ways we could fill that. Or I could say, instead of 16, I have two teams of eight. How would I fill those? 
because perhaps that looks different. Or how about I say I have two teams of three and two teams of five because you have witnesses and you have attorneys. And there's all different ways to look at this, but each way I look at it, it might present a different scenario. Each way you look at it, it might present a different scenario. Back to the landlord, if we're looking at that case and we say, hey, instead of how do I pay the least amount, it's how do I get out of this? We might be looking at a lump sum settlement. We might be looking at a lawsuit. We could look at a lot of different ways. Now, emotionally, emotionally, I may not want to go into all of those, but factually, I might. And so that's where when we shift how we view the problem, we don't want to be that stapler that's attached to a very specific way. We get to not to be that. We get to be unattached to the possibilities of how things can happen. But we got to look at the outcome that we want to create. So when we're talking about how we see the problem may be the problem, we're talking about changing our view so that we're not attached to how something looks. And how we do that is first asking ourselves, are we open to seeing this in a different light? Are we open to seeing this in a different light? Because if we're not, Nothing we can do, moving on. Then we boil down to the facts. So we hang out in our upstairs brain, logical, rational space, and then we can boil down the facts. I write them down with my fun pink pen, and then we can articulate the real question that we wanna answer, which in the case of my, the, the legal, the, uh, the lease, I want out of it. Ultimately, yes, that's what I want. It's not about how little do I have to pay. It's about, I want out. How do I get out? What do I get to do to get out? That I can go to my lawyer and say, hey, how do I get out of this? And then we can seek answers. Then from that point, we can go to people and say, hey, could you support me? I've got this question. Well, we have a very specific question that was different than the question we just had before we walked through this process. Now, how we go about seeking solutions and, and really receiving support, that's another conversation as well. We'll dig into that just a little bit. We're going to go on a quick break and we will cover how would you even ask someone for support about a specific problem and this may seem kind of obvious at first blush but it is hard to be vulnerable it can be challenging to open up about something that maybe you if you beat your head up against the wall with frustration or anger or just you've been challenged with this it can be really hard to open up to somebody and to believe that they could have a solution especially if you don't even know that it makes sense. This, you may think, gosh, why would I open up to a coworker or a friend or a spouse or whoever it is? Why would I open it up? There's no way that they could have an answer. But I can tell you that that's not always the case. So we'll talk a little bit about that after break. You're listening to The Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership here on Inspired Choices Network. Talk to you in just a second. Are you enjoying the conversations on The Kathleen Reeson Show? Kathleen speaks both in person and virtually at companies, conferences, and retreats all over the world. Learn about booking Kathleen Reeson for your next event at KathleenReeson.com. That's KathleenReeson.com. How wonderful would it be to carry your favorite Inspired Choices Network host with you throughout your day? Well, now you can. Inspired Choices Network now has its very own mobile app. Our free app offers live streaming shows, along with thousands of podcasts and TV episodes. Our shows cover a wide variety of topics. Whether you're waking up with us, carrying us through the day, and taking us to bed with you, we're always here for you to enjoy. 
We're easy to find. Just search for Inspired Choices Network in the Apple App Store or Google Play Store. Welcome back to the Kathleen Reason Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership. To participate in the program, join our live studio audience in our chat room at InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to the Kathleen Recent Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership here on Inspired Choices Network. And today we've been talking all about how you see the problem may not actually be, that, that may actually be the problem. How you see the problem may be the problem. And I was thinking about, as I told you, my oldest son, he just passed his knowledge test and he's just about ready to get his permit. But here we are so backed up in our driver's ed or driver's program to be able to get our permit that it takes about a month. So we'll go in here in a month and he'll get his actual permit and then we will go out driving. Now, part of this process is that he will actually take a driver's ed course as well. And as they're learning to drive, the problem that we see, obviously young drivers, they lack experience. And so I was thinking about how do they train these drivers? Because, you know, we'll take Caden out to a parking lot. We'll, uh, we will give him the experience, but ultimately, you know, when he's on the road by himself, that's gonna be a different set of problems for him than in a parking lot. Or when I'm in the car, it's gonna be very different than even when my husband's in the car or when a driver's ed teacher's in the car or other kids are in the car with him. You know, my youngest said he was gonna wear a helmet every time Caden drove. Now, can you imagine that? Like, just sit with that for a second. If your little brother gets in the car the first time that you are driving with him and he puts a helmet on, I mean, what kind of confidence is that giving you? So the problem is very different than the problem that I'm attempting to solve. I wanna teach him how to physically drive and be safe, but there's actually a lot of other challenges that he's gonna face there. And it's gonna be the confidence around other members of his family, like his little brother that wears a helmet. It's gonna be confidence with other people besides me. And so there's lots of other challenges. But I realized, you know, I think that the driver's ed teachers do a really good job with this, is saying that there's gonna be lots of different problems and it's not just one. Like for example, when they're driving, one of the things that that's pretty cool, and actually I think as an adult, I might wanna do this, but they go through the parking lots and they actually set these up with these pylons, like these, you know, you don't wanna talk about the big orange ones. They, see, they set them up in the, the parking lot and then you gotta drive in between them. I mean, what a challenge, really. You gotta drive in between all these pylons. Let's say there's you know 20 pylons in a row and you gotta swerve between them. And everybody around can see this happening. Okay, so it's like like neighbors, this is not, this is just in a school parking lot they set this up. And so it can create some embarrassment for the kids. It can create some challenges, especially if you just take one out. I mean, that's kind of embarrassing. My mom, now she's she's dead. She'll probably, it's gonna thunder around my house as I say this. <laughs> but when one time, uh, oh gosh, it was a few years ago, she was coming home from a baseball game. So one of my son's baseball games. And she ran over one of those pylons and it didn't dislodge, like it stuck in her car. And she kept driving and she heard something dragging. She got probably a mile away from the baseball field. She gets out and there's a pylon attached to her car. Now the problem at this point, you may be thinking like, okay, how do I get it out of the car? That's the problem. Well, then what does she do with the pylon? Does she keep it and take it back at the next game? Does she keep it at her house? Does she drive it back there and just set it where it came from? I mean, what do you do with this big pylon? So it became an interesting challenge. And, and these are kind of funny because it is funny to think about if you're driving down the road and you notice a random 
pylon on your car, you know, that's one challenge that you can solve. I mean, I'm sure there's some embarrassment that went with that, especially as she shared the story with me. I attempted to be to be gracious about that and not laugh, but I'll tell you what, I probably wasn't probably wasn't the best best daughter in that moment. <laughs> like I said, I'm telling you, there's gonna be lightning thunder stuff outside in just a minute. <laughs> you'll all hear it, then you'll know. Um, anyway, I digress. But the whole point is that, that we all have these situations where if we're looking very specifically at one problem, lots of others actually are around it. And so when we're struggling with the situation, how do we open up and have a conversation with someone? Now, obviously, like in my mom's case, when she called me and said, hey, this pylon is stuck to my car. And after I laughed, now don't do that if somebody calls you and don't do that to yourself. Don't laugh. Learn from me. <laughs> Be nice. Then how do you open up to somebody? Because you might not even realize that they have a solution that could support you. You may not know that because we don't know every single challenge that somebody has dealt with. Like in the business space, and let's just cover the business space right now. I know for myself, I have faced many, many challenges in business. And some of them I talk about, some of them I just don't even think to talk about. I, mean, I had a business partner that embezzled money. I had a business partner, same business partner, that I'm pretty sure did looked high with some of our employees. I uh, So I ended up going through the process of firing a business partner. No, didn't keep that one. And uh, I, have, I have dealt with uh, really restarting a company from scratch because of that. That really changed the dynamics of the company. I have built businesses from zero dollars up to seven figures. I have closed businesses. I've had million dollar businesses, business losses. I've had near bankruptcy moments, you know, all these things. So some of those things I talk about, and obviously I have a microphone in front of me. So, so I share those a little bit more than the average person, but think about the people that are around you. Do you truly know what they face in a day-to-day -day scenario? in personal or professional life. I don't often share about the moment when I thought, and this is on the personal side, when I thought that my husband died. I walked into his ICU room. I had just gone home to take a shower. I wasn't gone more than an hour and there is yellow caution tape strewn about his door. I thought for sure he had died and no one had told me. And I understand that moment now, if somebody were to come to me and say, wow, this could be the worst moment of my life where I was so scared. I can place myself in the space that they're in and have tremendous amount of empathy because of that. But the same thing in the professional space. But unless somebody knew very specifically that I'd gone through that, they wouldn't know that. And so how do you trust that you're going to put something out into the world and that somebody can meet you? And the reality is that sometimes they can and sometimes they can't. And this goes back to the difference between empathy and sympathy. Empathy is I'm right there with you. I have, I have been through it. Like I can, I can really empathize with you, meaning I have been through a similar situation or I've been through something that caused me a similar experience. And so we can empathize together. But sympathy is like, I don't have a clue what you're saying. I, I can't even imagine myself there, but man, do I feel for you. Like, whoa, do I really like want to be there for you? So I'm gonna have sympathy for you. Like if, if somebody said, 
uh, a parent that passed, I've had a parent that passed, I can empathize with you. Now, if they say a child that has passed, I have had children, my, I have a child that's very, has been very sick in the past, but I've never had a child that passed. So I cannot begin to imagine what that would be like. I can sympathize for them, but I cannot empathize for them. Same thing in the professional world. There's scenarios that I've been in where I can empathize with them, but I can't sympathize. So if you don't know where somebody's at and you're looking for somebody that you that can empathize with you, that can have a challenge that maybe has faced something similar, it's okay when you've boiled down that facts and you know what the question is to say, hey, I'm looking for someone that has approached this kind of scenario. Do you know anyone? And that person may say, hey, I have, I could support you with that. Or I haven't had that scenario, but I've had one similar, I could support you with that. Or I cannot support you in any way, but I know this person and let me connect you. Because that connection game is really powerful. I've met some really great people because I've used the tool that I'm talking about. And I say, do you know anyone? And they'll say, oh, let me connect you with this person. That's a tool that even as you look at your network and you can be this for somebody else, you can say, I've never experienced that, but hey, what about this person? And so you become this connector for other people that are looking for somebody in that empathy space. But if you have none of that available to you, you don't, you've never experienced it, you don't know anybody else that has, then you hop on over to sympathy. And then you can say, like, I, I don't have anywhere to send you, but, but I'm here for you. I'm here for you. Whatever you need, I'm here for you. And so you are still walking through whatever it is with them or with yourself, whatever that, that looks like. Somebody asked me the other day, I was in a conversation about some board work that we're doing. Some uh, we're, I have a, a company that I work with and their board retreat is coming up and they've asked me to facilitate it. And the uh, president of the board, he, he came to me and he said, Kathleen, uh, this work that you're doing, like this must be kind of challenging. And I said, well, we, we, tell me more about that. And he goes, well, you're always in the fire. Like you're dealing with some heavy stuff, like real, real aggressive growth or changes. And so there's a lot that goes with that. And so you're in the fire a lot. And I said, well, you see it as the fire. I see it as holding a line that is saying we are moving forward and there's going to be lots of stuff in the middle, but I am right there with you. And so for me, it's a natural part of growth that I could see where you could see it as the fire. Now, if you're someone who is leading a company through growth, either one of us would be great, the, the board president or me, either one of us would be great to talk to, but the board president, he would be somebody that's gonna give you that sympathy because he just hasn't, he's not routinely holding people through the fire like this. But if you want somebody that's gonna be empathy, that's gonna understand exactly what you've walked through because they've walked through it before over and over and over again, either through themselves or with, with somebody else, then call me or, or call somebody like that that's been in that position because that's the role. You, you've got to have somebody by your side that can help you see the problem differently. So you want to get there faster. You want to get there with less bumps and bruises. And let's be honest, we don't want it to be as expensive. So we want to get there as smoothly as possible and put people around you that can understand what you're going through. And believe me, there are people around you that can understand what you're going through, even in the nastiest, ugliest of situations. They are there. I am sure of it.
I am sure of it, whether it's financial or whether it's a, a personal hardship, whatever it is that you're going through, whatever decision that you're up against, whatever problem that you're up against, how you're seeing the problem right now could shift and it could be simpler for you. But that is about opening up and asking the people around you how you can make this simpler, how you can look at this differently. Borrow from their knowledge, borrow from their expertise. And if you're somebody on the flip side of this, be the connector. If it's not you, connect this person. If somebody's willing to stand for you, don't laugh at them. Not like with the pylon, with my mom, don't laugh at them. Be there for them and either, if you can have that empathy, amazing. Otherwise, connect them with somebody that can. And if you don't have either of those resources, be the sympathy for them. Hold their hand. It's like if somebody's puking, you don't, you don't just want to walk away. You're like, be the one that holds their hair back. Because that's what it means to be in the fire with somebody. And how you see the problem is oftentimes the problem. It's letting other people in. Letting them know what you're going through. Because when you've got a big challenge that you're facing, I, you, I couldn't tell you how many times I have heard the um, in the executive ranks how lonely it is. And I get that. I've been there. And what I can tell you is it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be. We're going to go on a quick break. I'll leave you with that thought. When we get back, we will wrap all of this show up about how you see the problem may just be the problem. You're listening to The Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership here on Inspired Choices Network. Talk to you in just a second. Are you enjoying the conversations on The Kathleen Reeson Show? Kathleen speaks both in person and virtually at companies, conferences, and retreats all over the world. Learn about booking Kathleen Reeson for your next event at KathleenReeson.com. That's KathleenReeson.com. Welcome back to The Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership. To participate in the program, join our live studio audience in our chat room at InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to the Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership here on Inspired Choices Network. And today we've been talking all about how you see the problem may just be the problem. So today we have covered problem solving from the standpoint that we can't be attached to the answer. We can't be attached to the outcome. We get to separate what we think the answer should be to what it could be, because that's when we open up possibility. Ego is oftentimes what's stopping us. If we've been banging our heads against the wall or working in a very specific way to solve a problem, it can be hard to separate it and say, maybe somebody else does know best. Maybe somebody else could lend something else to this solution so that we could get there faster. And oftentimes what could take us hours, six, 10, 12, hundreds of hours, we could work in partnership with somebody that could be a much shorter time period where you may not have a clue, but you, you talk with somebody who that's their area of expertise and you could get to the solution a lot faster. So that's a potential. Plus bringing in somebody that can be neutral about this, that isn't biased, that has a whole different look. Think about a lawyer. Their job is to be unbiased, to be neutral. And so that's the role. And even as my job as a coach, my job, coach or consultant, whichever role I'm playing in for my clients, if they're saying, look, I am here with my company and I am on a growth trajectory to get here, there's some things that are in my way. Yes, of course, of course, because if there weren't stuff in our way, we'd be there already. There's always gonna be stuff in the way, but ego is what makes that wrong. 
Remember we talked about right versus wrong? There is no wrong. There is no wrong unless we make it that way. And so we get to rewrite that. We get to rewrite that. The key question to ask yourself, are you open to seeing this in a different way? When you've got a problem in front of you or you're working with somebody else with a problem, ask, are we open to seeing this in a different way? If the answer is no, go, go away. Go back to bed, leave it alone. Nothing's gonna change. But if the answer is yes, then we can dig in. Then for the case of me, you can do it however you want, but I get a piece of paper out and my fun colored pens and I actually write down the facts. Boil down the facts, I get rid of the emotion, hang out in the upstairs brain, and we write down from a, a, a rational, logical way what these facts are. Because at that point, then we can articulate what the real question is that we wanna answer. Based on these facts, where are we headed? What's the real question? Now you can seek answers. And in that, you can ask for support with those around you. So remember, how you see the problem is often the problem. If you have any questions or I want to dig deeper into this topic and how it affects you or your organization, just reach out. My email is Kathleen at KathleenReason.com. This is what I get, or I get paid. I spend lots of time on this avenue with my clients, this, this piece, really learning how to up-level in the problem-solving and decision-making area because that has a direct result on how we go about business and what our ROI is, our profitability, all of that's impacted by our ability to make decisions. Now, next week, because we come live every single Monday with all kinds of content just like this, next week we're talking about get others to be a yes to your ideas. Get others to be a yes to your ideas. So you see those people that it doesn't matter what they say, everything they say, everybody loves. And then you've got those people that no matter what they say, everybody's a no to it and shutting it down. What is the difference? Well, it's all about how you present the idea and how you show up. And so what we're talking about is how to get others to be a yes to your idea. This is ultimately an enrollment game. We're not talking about sales. I don't even like sales. I mean, sales are an important piece to, to life, but sales is I wanna sell you something. Enrollment is based on how I show up, I am naturally enrolling. That's the goal. You wanna be naturally enrolling to pull people into your ideas. So that's what's gonna be really important. Get others to be a yes to your ideas. That is all of next week's conversation. Now, if you have other topics that you wanna hear about, be sure to reach out to me, Kathleen at KathleenReason.com so we can include those. I was just looking at our shows. I've been doing this, started this show June 1st of 2020. Can you believe it's been that long? But just a little quick history real quick on the Kathleen Reeson show. It didn't start out as the Kathleen Reeson show. So when I say how you see the problem may be the problem, when I first started this show, it was just about getting my voice out into the world in a consistent basis. I had been, I had emails and some other different ways to portray my voice, but in this case, it was about being consistent in the messaging. So June 1st, 2020, don't know if you knew this, <laughs> I say that not truly, I, I know you knew this, but the, the, the climate of the world was very different then. And so at that point, it was just about getting the message out. At the same time, I launched my first book, So Joy in Uncertainty, A Guide to Creating a Meaningful Life, which I, I talked about earlier in the show. And so both of those things happened at the same time. And I ran under the, it was actually called Profit Launch for, uh, well, till November, till the, or till the end of October. And then my mom died. And I said, if I'm going to show up on live radio, on podcasts, on TV, however you're choosing to listen, it's gonna be something that is so meaningful and authentic to me. And so then we shifted the show's topic and actually then rebranded 
in 2021 to what you now know as the Kathleen Reeson show, pushing the boundaries of leadership. Big part of that is, well, when you use your name in the brand, you've got a lot of leeway with, with what you share and what you're up to. So that's a little bit of history on there, but we've actually covered over a hundred episodes since the show launched. So that's, that's a pretty neat, uh, really uh, length of time. If you look at the average show that's hosted, it, it's done within about three, well, three months is the average, but uh, you know, the, most of them do not survive this long. So very proud of my team. We've got you know, Kim and Christine are on here. You can't see them because they produce behind the scenes, but that's something that when you think about, uh, and th thank you to Kim and Christine, uh, when you think about really putting your team together and you think about how you're going to create your voice or what you're going to say, it's really important that you have the team around you, that you share what the problem is, because sometimes the problem as you see it isn't, isn't necessarily how other people would see it either. And so even something like this, even though it started out in a different way, it, it found its way to what exactly it was supposed to be. So there was nothing wrong along the way and we could easily make it wrong, but that's not the point. And how often do we make ourselves wrong because of how we start isn't how we want to finish. That's the part of evolution. And that's what's so cool about the journey of life. We could talk all about that in a whole other show. But what I'm sharing with you is if there's something that you've got on your mind or your heart right now, whether it's personally or professionally, just start. That's the biggest piece. If I had a dollar for every time somebody threw out an idea, but it never went anywhere, I would probably live on a private island right now. I'd have my, I'd have, I'd have somebody else slate these mock trial teams, perhaps, because this is a challenge. You know what I'm going to do after I get off this show? I'm going to be asking for support. But I say this all because the biggest challenge, really, that I see is that we don't ask for support often enough. We sit in our own bubble of trouble. <laughs> bubble of trouble. I'm going to coin that term. But we often tell ourselves how things can be hard, and the reality is they don't have to be. And so when we ask others for support and we how they can support us in seeing problems differently, then we can be so much more effective and play in our zone of genius. So that's pretty cool. And that is our thought for the day. So think about what your zone of genius is and how you can apply that to your own challenges and how you can support other people because of that zone of genius. So how can you support other people in how they see problems? Because if you ever feel like you're in a funk, the biggest thing you can do to get out of it is serve others, okay? How you see the problem may actually be the problem. Remember that. How you see the problem may actually be the problem. And remember, join us next week as we talk about getting other people to be a yes to our own idea. Thank you so much for joining us. Talk to you later. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership. Kathleen Reeson will return next Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, 10 a.m. Central, 9 a.m. Mountain, and 8 a.m. Pacific on InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. Have a great week.